Lukatei Sichais, Parshas Pinchas, Chelek Chav Gimel, Secha Aleph. In the Torah portion of Pinchas, we study the event of the daughters of Slavchad, who came before Moshe, Elazar, and the chieftains of the tribes when the land was being apportioned, and requested their portion of Eretz Yisrael just as that of their father's brothers. In Perak of Zion, chapter 27, verse 2, Posuk Beis, we read, V'ta'amoydna lifnei Moshe, v'lifnei Elazar hakoyen, v'lifnei hanasim, v'chol ha'eda, Pesach oil mayed lemor. They stood, the daughters of Slavchad, before Moshe, and before Elazar the Kayan, and before the chieftains of the tribes, and the entire congregation at the entrance to the tent of meeting, and said, the Sifri highlights a discussion or an argument in the explanation of the verse saying, if Moshe doesn't know the law, will Elazar know the law? But if you transpose the verse, it reads, before Elazar and before Moshe. These are the words of Rabbi Yeshia. Whereas Rabbi, Rabbi Abba Hanan said, they were all in the base Midrash, and the daughters of Tzlavchad came and stood before them there. The same argument is presented in the Sifri in two more spots. So what is the argument? That there are two different possibilities here. One, which is the opinion of Rabbi Yeshia, that we can transpose the words in the verse, and it would read that first they asked Elazar, and then they asked Moshe, because if Moshe doesn't know the law, will Elazar know the law? So the verse should be transposed. And then the opinion of Abahanan, which is that they were all in the base Medrash, and the daughters of Tzlavchad came and stood before them there. The two more places where the same argument is presented in the Sifri, one, in the discussion of Pesach Sheni, that arises in the Torah portion of Baha'u'llah, the Pesach Sheni discussion was when the verse tells us that the people approached Moshe and Aaron to argue their case regarding the Korban Pesach, that they had missed the opportunity because they had been impure at the time of the bringing of the Paschal sacrifice, and two, in the discussion of the Mekoshesh Eitzim, the man who gathered wood on Shabbos day and desecrated Shabbos. Those who found him, the Torah tells us, brought him before Moshe and Aaron and all the nation. In Rashi's explanation for these sources, we see something quite surprising. In the portion of Baha'u'llah, Rashi explains the words, they came before Moshe and before Aaron, saying that the people came as the two of them, Moshe and Aaron, sat in the base medrash, they came and they asked them. You cannot say that they asked Moshe first and then asked Aaron, as if Moshe did not know, says Rashi, then where would Aaron know from? Which tells us that Rashi is explaining this as Abba Hanan does. Yet, in the portion of Shlach, Rashi gives no explanation at all for the words to Moshe, and to Aaron and to the entire congregation. And here in the portion of Pinchas, Rashi brings both explanations, and here he quotes each opinion in the name of the one who taught it. 
Now, we can explain Rashi not giving any explanation in the portion of Shlach as his depending on our recall of his explanation in the previous portion of Baaloscha. But this cannot explain at all the dual explanation that Rashi gives in our Torah portion. In Baaloscha, when Rashi gives only the explanation of Abachanan, it's clear that this explanation is the one that suits the actual intention of the verse. And in fact, it's self-understood that reversing the words would not work with the literal intention of the verse. And as indicated by Rav Yeshia, it would be a reversal of the words and the conclusion one would arrive at, excuse me, that would not suit the intention of the words in this verse. Juxtaposed with our verse in the portion of Pinchas, where Rashi quotes both opinions, clearly the teaching of Rav Yeshia can work with the intention of the words in this verse. The discrepancy is greater yet, noticing that Rashi first quotes this explanation before the explanation of Abu Hanan. There's more yet. In the portion of Baha'u'llah, the verse in the Torah states, they came before Moshe and before Aharon, which would mean just reversing the order of Moshe and Aharon. But in our verse, where we read, that the daughters of Tzlavchad came before Moshe and before Elazar the Kayan and before the chieftains of the tribes, the order of all three would need to be reversed to be understood as they asked this of the chieftains, then Elazar, and then Moshe. And nevertheless, Rashi quotes this explanation of Rav Yoshia specifically. It would seem that we could explain this by saying that the difference between the two explanations of Rashi and Baal Leischa, and in our Torah portion is connected to the difference in the terminology of the verse. In Baal Leischa, the verse states only before, or the verses. In Baal Leischa, the verse states only before Moshe and before Aaron. And thus, according to the verse, one can explain it as the two of them sitting in the base Midrash. But in our portion, where the words in the verse include the entire community, we can't possibly suggest that everyone was in the base Medrash, and so Rashi first quotes the teaching of Rav Yoshia. This is, however, not a very good explanation. As aside for the fact that this would bring us back to the question why Rashi doesn't explain anything at all in the portion of Shlach, where the verse 2 adds the entire community to Moshe and to Aaron, and we can't then explain that as Rashi, depending on our recalling his previous explanation, in addition, it's a challenging explanation because Rashi himself says in his explanation in chapter 34 in Periklamidalar of the portion of Kisisa regarding the verse that tells us how Moshe taught Torah to the nation, where Rashi delineates this order and tells us that Moshe would hear Torah from the mouth of God and Aaron would enter and Moshe would teach Aaron. Then Aaron moved aside and Moshe taught his sons and then they would move aside and Moshe would teach the elders, and then he would teach the entire nation. Sounds like they very much all went into the base Medrash, where Moshe taught Torah. And so the question of all of them being in the base Medrash in our verse would fall away. Because these terms, the entire community, and in Kisisa, the entire nation, do not actually mean the entirety of the nation, but only those who wanted to study, this clears away the question regarding the explanation that concludes that they were all, Moshe, Elazar, the chieftains, and then the entire nation. In other words, 
those who desire to learn in the base Midrash. More than that even, in our verse it's far easier to explain that they were all studying in the base Midrash because the verse employs the term kol ha'eda versus kol ha'am, the congregation versus the nation. Rashi has previously provided us with the explanation that the words kol ha'eda may be a reference to the Sanhedrin, to the great assembly. And in that case, of course, we go back to our question. Why doesn't Rashi explain the verse here as he does previously, with just the second explanation as the primary and as the essential explanation that the daughters of Slavchad came before them all in the base Medrash? There's an additional difference between the verse in our Torah portion of Pinchas to the verse in the portion of Baha'u'llah, which can perhaps facilitate our understanding of the differences in Rashi's two explanations in both places. In Baha'u'llah, there's no hint or suggestion where Moshe and Aharon were at the time that those who had missed the opportunity to fulfill the mitzvah of the Paschal sacrifice approached them. Thus, Rashi can explain that they were both sitting in the base medrash when they were approached. But in our verse, we're told specifically that they were at the entrance to the tent of witness. And this is possibly why Rashi can't explain that they were in the base medrash as the primary and core answer. But this is not yet a sufficient answer, because practically, the entrance to the Ayolmeya, the tent of witness, and the base medrash, the study hall, were one and the same. The entrance to the tent of witness means the courtyard of the tabernacle. The base medrash too was situated in the courtyard of the tabernacle beside the altar, as Rashi teaches in the beginning of the portion of Mishpatim, that when God commanded Moshe to deliver these additional ordinances to the Sanhedrin, they were to be situated beside the altar. So we deduce that the entrance to the Eil Mayed, the tent of witness, means the Beit Midrash. Also, even if one suggests that in this verse, one cannot say that the intention in the words at the entrance of the Oel Moed, the tent of witness, is the Beit Midrash, the study hall, this would have to be backed up and explained. And why is it at all necessary to explain the verse according to the explanation that they were in the Beit Midrash? Rashi can just say, as before, they stood before everyone, because the verse already specifies this took place before the Oel Moed, the tent of witness. To properly understand this all, we need to first clarify the question Rashi presents in his explanation. Rashi says, And if Moshe did not know the law, would Elazar know it? From Rashi's explanation, it seems that from the verse itself we understand that the way in which the questions were presented to the people who were there and the daughters of Slavchad was presented to each one separately. But as there are two possibilities here at once, or one after the other, Rashi explains in the portion of Baal-Lescha that they were approached as the two of them, Moshe and Aaron, sat in the Beit Midrash, in the study hall, and then elaborates in a way most unusual for him in order to negate the possibility of this being the latter, one after the other. And Rashi says, one cannot say that it was asked of one after the other, for if Moshe did not know, from where would Aaron know, as Moshe was Aaron's teacher? And the same here in our Torah portion. Rashi emphasizes this point and says, is it possible if Moshe didn't know, Elazar would know? But there's more. 
After Rashi quotes the words before Moshe from the verse, he begins his explanation with a question and addition of the words, and after that, before Elazar. And it seems that Rashi's intention was to emphasize the usage of the words, and before, to highlight that this is just like saying, and after that, before Elazar. How do we understand this? If the verse would have stated before Moshe and Aaron, without the words and before Aaron's name, or in our Torah portion, had it said before Moshe and Elazar, versus what it does say before Moshe and before Elazar, it would be understood that the question was posed once to Moshe as he stood with Aaron. Of course, we could say that the question was asked of Moshe and Aaron is mentioned only because practically he was there together with Moshe. But because the word before is inserted before Aaron's name, and again, before Elazar, Rashi must explain that the question was actually posed to Aaron, and in our Torah portion to Elazar individually. And since we can't possibly suggest it was posed one after the other, as though Moshe did not know, so Aaron was asked, which is the order of their names in the verse, Rashi thus tells us they were approached and asked as they both sat in the base midrash. Let's understand the workings of a Beit Midrash. A Beit Midrash is a place where Torah is studied in unison by many people in varying stages of knowledge. It isn't a gathering that takes place in order to hear a Rav or a scholar give a lecture in Halacha or a Torah lecture. So while a Beit Midrash may have a Rav or a head of an institution, and there are students of varying levels, the essence of a Beit Midrash is that all the attendees sit and study. All hear the questions presented and all participate in the discussion around this. Thus, the questions asked in a Beit Midrash are asked differently to questions presented to a basedin, to a Jewish court, where there would be a halachic adjudicator or a rabbi, even while there may be students present who are also studying how to be rabbis. A question asked in a Jewish court in a basedin is asked specifically of the members of the court, while the question presented in the Beit Midrash is for the interest of all, and each one can offer his understanding and opinion as to the proper halachic response. This then is Rashi's intention when he says that the two of them were sitting in the Beit Midrash when those with a question regarding the Paschal sacrifice came to ask. Aaron heard the question because he was present with Moshe, and they were studying Torah together. Therefore, the question was said to be asked before Moshe and before Aaron. And this is why Rashi alters the words in the second explanation he offers on this verse. In the verse, we read that they all stood at the opening of the oil moed, and Rashi says they were sitting in the Beit Midrash in the study hall. This explanation is foundational to understanding the verse in its intention. The intention was to emphasize that they were in the Beit Midrash in the study hall, and not that they were together. Accordingly, we understand why Rashi does not consider this the primary and core explanation in our portion and discussion. Rashi explains that with the words Pesach Ayomed, at the opening of the Tent of Witness, the Torah does not intend to inform us where they were, for of what significance is it for us to know that? The main intention was to describe how they were all gathered there at the opening of the tent, is the place where the community gathered to hear the words of Moshe Rabbeinu, not to sit and study together. So it turns out that in our verse, the actual intention is not that they were in the Beit Midrash, 
but that they were at the gathering place at the opening of a tent of meeting. Now you could push this and say that the words at the opening of the tent carries the intention of the place where they gathered, and that this is really only relevant to those last of those in the verse, the kol ha'eda, the whole congregation, that Moshe, Elazar, and the tribal chieftains were in the Beit Midrash. And the question asked by the daughters of Tzlavchad were asked by them before them all equally, like questions are asked in a Beit Midrash. But because it's really a stretch to divide the verse this way, suggesting that Moshe, Elazar, and the tribal chiefs were in the Beit Midrash, and then the whole eight of the congregation were standing at the opening of the tent of meeting. Therefore, Rashi teaches the first explanation and the primary explanation as the reordering of the words in the verse that the Torah is telling us before Moshe and before Allah's of the Kohen and before the Nisim, the tribal chieftains, because they were indeed asked one after another, but it was actually the Nisim who were asked first, transposing the words, and then Elazar, and then Moshe. We would then be left with the, only the one question as to why does the words, why does the verse reverse the order of how the question was presented. And aside for that intention of all the words in the verse are understood as they are. This is also why Rashi quotes the explanations in the names of those who said them, Rabbi Yeshia and Avachanan, whether to understand the literal intention of the verse is to transpose the words, or if it requires almost a far-fetched explanation rather than to say you can transpose the words to highlight that these two explanations are how we understand the verse, and not only this verse, but that this is a difference of opinion in several places between Rav Yeshia and Abachanan. There are several occasions when Rav Yeshia says, transpose the words in the verse, and Abachanan is of the opinion that one needs to look at the verse and really push the possible explanations, but not to suggest that the words are to be transposed. According to all that we have discussed, we will also understand why Rashi isn't concerned with the same question in the portion of the one who collected the twigs on Shabbos, because the question, and desecrated the Shabbos, because the question there was a question from the community that came to ask a halachic issue also of Aaron after they asked Moshe. There's no question in this circumstance. Rashi says they did not know which death he would deserve, but they knew that one who desecrates Shabbos will receive death. In other words, bringing him to Mesha and Arin and the entire community was not specifically to ask the halacha, but to deliver him to the community so they would mete out his punishment. The question was, which death was he deserving of? Thus, in this circumstance, comparing Mesha and Arin and the community, considering them as the same, as the discussion here is about turning him over to the possession of the community, to Moshe, to Aaron, and to the entire Ada, is understandable. Accordingly, we will understand a similar situation that is found in the story of the Mekalal, the blasphemer who blasphemed God's name in the Torah portion of Emor. The verse tells us that the community brought him to Moshe, only to Moshe, which gives us pause, 
as the Mekoshesh, the one who gathered wood on Shabbos and desecrated Shabbos, and the Mekalel, the one who blasphemed, were alike, as Rashi explains. So why was the blasphemer brought only to Moshe, and the Shabbos desecrator brought to Moshe, and to Aaron and the entire community? But now we can understand that regarding the Shabbos desecrator, Rashi says, they knew he would deserve death, but they did not know what death he was deserving of. As regards to the blasphemer, the community or the witnesses did not know what his punishment would be or if he was deserving of death. So they came to Moshe for his sentence to be made specific. In other words, regarding the blasphemer, there was a halachic question as to whether or not he was destined to death or not. For this, they needed to turn to Moshe. But regarding the Mekoshish Eitzim, the Sabbath desecrator, they knew that his punishment would be death, so they brought him to the community, to Moshe and to Aaron, and to all the congregation. The inner lesson in this Rashi, the Yena Shel Torah, why Rashi brings these explanations specifically in this portion of Pesach Sheni, the second opportunity for the Paschal sacrifice, and in the stories of the da- story of the daughters of Slavchad. And none of this is discussed in the situation of the wood gatherer who desecrated Shabbos, is likely because these explanations have a connection to the way in which these events, events are related. What is new in these two events is that they are a response from on high to a request or a demand from below. Pesach Sheni, a second chance, came through the claim of those who had been impure, who argued that they should not lose out on the opportunity in the midst of bringing the Paschal sacrifice. Through the argument and claims of the daughters of Tzlavchad, why their father's name should be lost, and that it should be kept alive with his portion of land given to them, we learned laws of inheritance regarding the division of the precious land of Israel. These two events are connected to the two explanations of the transposing of the words in the Torah verse and the explanation that they were sitting in the base Medrash, because both highlight the importance of learning Torah in this world. The words in the verse transposed, the verse as it descends from above, is not understandable, and only and specifically through man who studies and rearranges the content of the verses in this world, bringing the words into this world, can these words of Torah be revealed and understood. Similarly, the idea of they were in the base Medrash to study the Torah, the study hall, or the study of Torah, in the base Medrash highlights the value of the study of man below, whereas gathering to hear the word of God through Moshe, gathering the community at the opening of the tent of witness, gathering to hear the word of God from the king in the year of Hakel, where the value of the upper world is highlighted, and those gathered are only receivers of the word. The value of the Beit Midrash is that a new idea or thought on Torah is always being presented through the engagement to study. This is like the value of the oral Torah as juxtaposed with the written law. The written law is as Torah is above, and the details of the mitzvahs are not revealed. Through the oral Torah, they are revealed via the work of study that takes place below. Accordingly, we can also understand the inner reason why Rashi only teaches the explanation of the two of Mesha and Arin sitting in the base Medrash, and both reasons to explain the verse in the event of the daughters of Slavchat, with the primary explanation that of transposing the words of the verse. 
the difference between transposing the words and sitting in the base medrash in the study hall is that transposing the words highlights the order as something recorded in Torah. On the other hand, the idea of the Beit Midrash highlights the lesson through which law becomes revealed from its source. Therefore, in the portion of Pesach Sheni, where the argument was, why should we lose out? A new law was established in Torah, and the essence of this was the idea of sitting in the Beit Midrash, where ideas and laws are innovated. Whereas in the portion that relates the event of the daughters of Slavchad, Rashi says that the law disappeared from Moshe's memory. Allah, he had already been told. And what occurred was, as Rashi teaches, the daughters of Slavchad merited that the halacha should be recorded in Torah through them. Therefore, the first explanation is the transposing of the verse. The law was recorded in a way that highlighted the idea of Torah in this world. But since there's also an opinion that the portion of the land and its division was actually completely innovated through the daughters of Slavchad, Rashi teaches the second explanation of Abba Hanan, that it came through the Beis HaMedrash experience. May it be Hashem's will that just as the request and the claim of the daughters of Slavchad for a portion of Eretz Yisrael brought down from above the portion of inheritance in Torah, and it's the action that's of essence, the actual bestowing of that inheritance to the daughters of Slavchad, may it be so in our days. With the end to exile, may the request that Jews continuously beg from God, the hastening of our Redeemer, and that our eyes behold the return to Zion in mercy, draw down the true and complete redemption through our righteous Redeemer, and then every Jew will, with revealed clarity, merit his or her portion in the Holy Land, with God's personal distribution of the land. May it be speedily in our days.